Well, amen. Good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I have not preached in two weeks. I had a little surgery on my ankle, so I'm excited to be back, uh, excited to be preaching. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, that's where we'll be this morning. We've been in a series called Be the Church, uh, where we've been looking at uh, the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, uh, which is one of Paul's uh, churches that he planted uh, in the book of Acts, and uh, then he kind of moved on from it, and they had, had, had uh, been facing some issues, and so he uh, wrote back to them, and he's been dealing with all kinds of stuff. Uh, he dealt with sin a little bit. He dealt with division in the church. Now he's began to answer some questions for them, and uh, for the past uh, two weeks, including this week will be the third, uh, he's been talking a little bit about idolatry and how we as the church relate to our culture uh, in a lot of ways. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, chapter 10 is where we'll begin, and uh, we're going to jump in uh, pretty quickly. It's a kind of a long chapter. So here we go. Verse 1 says this. Uh, this is Paul. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, uh, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they have passed through uh, the sea. And so you, you got to know the Old Testament a little bit to understand what he's saying. And so uh, he's, he's referring all the way back to uh, the book of Exodus uh, where uh, Moses had led the Israelites out of slavery uh, in Egypt and uh, God had began to uh, take this group of people called the Israelites as his people, his representatives, that he wanted to show the world uh, who he was and what he was about. And so uh, he would lead this group of people uh, uh, by a cloud, uh, the glory cloud, and then he would also lead them by fire at night. And so that's what he's referring to. And all that passed through the sea would obviously be the Red Sea where the Israelites came through. Verse 2, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's an interesting language. Uh, he's not saying that we are baptized in the name of Moses. Uh, Moses was their leader, kind of uh, their uh, symbolic Christ, so to speak. And so uh, the baptism means that you identify with a person. So uh, on this side of the cross, we are baptized in the name of Christ. And they were baptized in the name of Christ in the Old Testament too. But uh, they were identifying with Moses as their leader, as the leader of the people of God. And so they were with him in the cloud and in the sea. Uh, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. And so you guys heard Kristen talk a little bit about that, how God led his people by day in a cloud. He led them by night with a fire. He provided for them water in a rock and uh, spiritual food and manna. All of that stuff uh, is in uh, the Bible in Exodus. Verse 5, he goes on to say, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And so the thing that we have to understand about the Old Testament and about the Israelites in the Old Testament is they didn't really respond to God uh, after he saved them out of bondage and slavery uh, and freed them and, and allowed them to cross the Red Sea and get away from Pharaoh. And then he had set them apart as his people uh, identified with them. This is God's people, the people of God. He had led them, provided for them, blessed them in a number of ways, and they didn't really respond in the way that you would think. You would think they would have gracious hearts. They're thankful. They want to live for God. God is great. Let's proclaim him in all the earth. 
uh, but they didn't do that. Instead of worshiping God, they worshiped idols. Instead of trusting God, they tested God. Instead of gratitude for God, they complained to God and grumbled. Instead of honoring God, they lived in sin. And because of this, they forfeited uh, the abundant life, the full life that God wanted for them, uh, which was known as the promised land uh, in those days. So instead of settling in the promised land, uh, because of their disobedience and their unwillingness to listen to God and their hardness of heart, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And many of them died in the wilderness. And that's what he's talking about, being scattered uh, in the wilderness. But then he goes on to say this. He then turns this back around on the Corinthian people. Verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples. I want you to underline that word. Examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry, which is a quote from uh, when Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. He comes back down and uh, you would think they would have been waiting for the voice of God and the tablets that had come down from God and they had began worshiping a golden calf idol that they had created while he was up there and they were uh, doing that. Verse eight, he says, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes and, we, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. Again, we see examples and warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. And so see what Paul's doing. He's pointing to specific instances in the history of Israel uh, where they had, had, had fallen into sin even though they were the people of God. He says that at one point they were lusting after evil things. Uh, I think what he's talking about there is after the Israelites had been delivered uh, out of uh, slavery from Egypt, they got into uh, across the Red Sea, and they were mad because Jesus and God weren't, wasn't providing for them the way he felt like they felt like he should provide. And so uh, they wanted to go back to Egypt, back into the bondage, because there was better food in their eyes in Egypt. And so they were wanting their old life. Does that sound familiar as a Christian? A lot of times there's ways that we like to kind of think about our old life and say, man, that, that way might be better, but it is not true. Uh, the second thing is they participated in sexual immorality. And so I think he's referring to a story there uh, probably in the book of Numbers where uh, there was a guy, uh, Balaam, who was leading God's people at that time and uh, another country uh, sent their younger women into the camp in Israel with the goal of we're gonna seduce the, the men into sexual immorality and we're gonna lead them into idol worship. And they did that and successfully got the Israelites away from God through sexual immorality. Uh, they also worshiped idols. We talked about that where uh, they're going to get the Ten Commandments off the, uh, the mountain. They come down and the next thing you know, all of Israel is down there worshiping a golden calf. Uh, and Moses was not happy about that. Uh, he comes down. The next thing is he said they were testing God. Uh, testing God meaning they constantly questioned God. Uh, God, if you loved us, why would you have us in this wilderness? Or why wouldn't you do things this way? Or why wouldn't you do things that way? They were constantly grumbling and complaining. 
And so Moses, uh, and so what, what Paul is doing is referring back to this time period uh, to address something going on in Corinth. And I think that's what he's gonna do is turn it back around on the Corinthians. Listen to verse uh, 12. He says, so if you, again, he's talking to the Corinthians, think that you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, beyond your ability with the Holy Spirit in you. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so basically, Paul is seeing and knew and assumed that the Corinthians' pride would look back at the Israelites and everything that they fell into, and their first thought would be, well, we're not like the Israelites. Like, like we're, we're, we're more mature than that. Like, we don't do lust and sexual immorality and idols and grumbling. But if you've been here the past few weeks, you know the Corinthians were full of idolatry and all of these things. But that's what pride does is it blinds us to our sin so that when we see the sin of other people, we say, oh, I'm glad I'm not like so-and-so. And Paul knew that, and so he comes right at them and says, if you think you're standing firm, you need to be careful because you need to examine your own life because pride comes before the fall. That's what the Bible uh, teaches in Proverbs 16. So no Christian, including you and I, in this world is beyond temptation. Like We need to understand that. No Christian in this world is beyond sin. Like We don't get to a level of uh, Christianity where we no longer are affected by sin. That won't happen until we get to heaven. When we think we are beyond sin and temptation, that's when we really are the most susceptible uh, to it. And not only that, but Paul wants them to know how to respond to these temptations in their life and these tests that God uh, does. And so namely, uh, he wants them to take the way out. He says God is faithful and he will give us a way out no matter what temptation or what test uh, we are facing. He'll always give us one. And so notice what God's way out is. Did you notice in the scripture where it says, and God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it, right? So that may uh, sound a little different than most of us think. When we think of a way out, we're thinking like, all right, we're on an interstate going towards sin, we get off this ramp and don't do it anymore. But the word he uses there is the way out of temptation and testing in God's eyes is faithful endurance. Like he's gonna give us the strength to endure, to walk through something faithfully. If we're facing a temptation, uh, then in God's eyes, uh, what we need to be thinking about is how can I be faithful in this? And faithfulness may be walking away from the situation in the midst of that temptation. But the same word for temptation in the Bible, in the Greek language, is also the word test. And so sometimes when we're in the middle of a testing season or a season where we're walking through something difficult, we can't walk out of that because God has actually placed this test in our life uh, to strengthen our faith. And in that situation, what Paul is saying is we need to strive to be faithful uh, where we are. And so every time we face a temptation or a test, we need to think of it as an opportunity because that's what it is. And it's an opportunity, it's kind of a crossroads where we can make a choice. 
in this situation where I'm being tempted to sin, either I can choose sin and choose to follow into that temptation and walk away from God, or on the other hand, I can choose to be faithful and to say no to the sin and, and, and faithfully follow Jesus. Or in the opposite stand, if you're in a test, a difficult situation, and you come to that crossroads, you can seek to question God and his goodness and not honor God and choose not to be faithful, or you can choose uh, to be faithful in the midst of that test, knowing that God is going to use it uh, for your good and for his glory. So he goes on in verse 14. He says, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry, which is kind of weird because he's just telling us about temptations. Like, hey, if temptation will be a way out, take the way out. Uh, but by the way, flee from idolatry. Uh, so uh, in certain circumstances, certain temptations, namely two in the entire Bible, sexual immorality and idolatry, the Bible says we need to flee. That means run away from it as fast as you possibly uh, can. Those are things that the Bible would say do not play uh, with those things, sexual immorality and idolatry. Verse 15, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? So now he's moving on to an example. He's taking us into uh, communion. Many of us know this as the Lord's Supper. So what is he gonna say? Uh, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break in participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord, talking about communion, and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we thinking that we are stronger than God? So again, now Paul goes from the Israelites and learning from them back to the original question that he's been addressing in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and now 10. And that's this question of meat being sacrificed to idols. Can the Corinthians participate in eating this meat sacrificed to idols? So let me explain that because that's kind of confusing. Uh, so in the Corinthian culture, uh, there was a lot of the meat that would be at the supermarket or let's say you'd go down to the uh, place to eat a burger, a lot of that meat would actually come from a temple of an idol, like Zeus or Aphrodite or one of the Greek gods uh, would have that meat. And so sometimes you would eat that meat and you wouldn't even know it was sacrificed uh, to uh, an idol. And so in that case, Paul would say, that's fine. You didn't know, just that, that's not a big deal. But what was happening in the Corinthian church is that the Corinthians would come to church and they would take communion. And he, obviously, the way he talks about communion here, it is a really big deal, and we need to understand that, that when we come to church and we take communion, which we do here on a quarterly basis, and you take the bread and you eat of the bread, that is symbolic of you participating uh, in the body of Christ. What is that? The body of Christ that was crucified for you and I on the cross to pay for our salvation. And so when we take communion in the bread, 
what is happening is literally we are in a very spiritual experience with God where we are literally participating in the cross, where we are literally symbolically looking at Christ and saying, as I eat this bread, I'm thinking about Christ on the cross for me, dying for my sin as his body was crushed for me. And then when we take the juice and we drink of the juice, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, thank you. I'm doing this in remembrance of what you've done for me on the cross as, you, as your blood was shed for my salvation. And that's a very spiritual uh, thing, a very, very humbling thing, a very thing to remember Christ in a very sincere and deep way. And so what Paul is saying is these Christians were coming and they were taking communion and then not just buying meat from the supermarket, they were going to the temple with these other, they were going to the temple of Zeus and the temple of Aphrodite who were idols. And he says, though we know that any idol other than the true God of the Bible is nothing, in that context, when you go and eat a celebration supper and you eat meat sacrificed to an idol at that temple as they celebrate this idol, you are essentially participating with demons because not only, that's what idols are, is a demon, a, Satan basically creates idols in this world to lead us astray. And he's saying to the Corinthian church, we should not do that because that hurts our witness. That basically show, shows other people that you can be a Christian and serve other gods, which is not true. And we know that because the first of the three Ten Commandments is all about not creating idols uh, for Ourself. And so that's what Paul is getting to. Verse 23. So here's how he comes back and, and summarizes it. He says, I have the right to do anything, is what you say. That's the Corinthians. But not everything is beneficial. That's what Paul's coming back with. You have the right, yes, to do anything because you're free in Christ. When we are saved, you know, we're no longer saved by the law. We were never saved by the law. Uh, so that means you don't perform to earn the salvation of God. This will be a good, uh, good, good thing for some of us in the room to understand. If you, in your mind you think, okay, God loves me and accepts me because I follow these laws, whether they're the laws of the Bible or some laws you've made up in your head, uh, you are wrong. The Bible calls that religion. But the gospel that the Bible teaches is that Christ perfectly fulfilled the law for us and so now we're not saved through the works of the law, we're saved through faith in him alone. And so he's the hero of our salvation, and so that's what the gospel communicates. And so if you're still in the mindset that you have to do something to earn the love and acceptance of God, then you have been led astray, and you need to understand what the Bible teaches about that. And so that's what the Bible calls freedom in Christ, because it's no longer we're no longer dependent on our works to save ourselves. We're dependent on Christ. And now because of what Christ has done, we live our life for him and do good works based off of gratitude for what he's done. So again, Paul says, I have the right to do anything. So uh, as a Christian, uh, I can eat meat. I can do whatever I wanna do because I'm no longer under the law. But then Paul says, not everything is beneficial. He says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive or edifying or builds up other people. He says, no one should seek their own good, but should seek the good of others. 
And so this has a lot to do with what, if you were here the past two weeks, uh, Buck and, and Blake taught on. And so Paul is concerned with the Corinthians and he wants them to understand, yes, they have freedom in Christ. We no longer have to uh, follow the laws of the Old Testament, but now we are free in Christ to live by the Spirit of God, which is the same Spirit that wrote the laws. So there is some overlap there, but uh, we, we live to love God, love others, and make disciples, and those are kind of the greatest commands that we follow, but, and, and we're free to do those things but then in some cases, there's gonna be some gray area. Like, can I do this and still honor God? Can I do this? And in the case of Corinthians, it was eating meat sacrificed to idols. And so Paul's teaching them how to think like Christ or how to think like God. And how he teaches them to think is by a level of test. He says, okay, yes, you have the right to do anything, but you need to ask the question, is this beneficial? Like, is it beneficial to the kingdom of God? Is it beneficial to you and your family to do this? Uh, and if it's not, you don't need to do it. Secondly, is it constructive? And there, I think he's thinking about constructive or, or, or does it build up other people? Like, is it good? Like, if I go make a decision, uh, Blake talked a lot about alcohol and tattoos and all these other things in our culture that the church has kind of never taught about or doesn't talk about all the time. But if I go choose to have a drink with a buddy that's an alcoholic and it causes him to stumble, I'm wrong. Like, I shouldn't do that. But does the Bible teach that alcohol in general is wrong? No, it teaches drunkenness is wrong. And so Paul wants us to think about things through the lens of, is it hurting my brother or sister? Is it building them up? Is it a good witness for Christ or is it not? Is it good for others or is it causing people to stumble and building them up? So just because we have the right to do something doesn't mean that it is the right thing to do. Paul wants us to be able to say no to something that we have the right to do because it's a better service to our brother and sister. And so it's out of honoring God and out of honoring another person, I'm, not, I'm choosing not to do this because this is going to hurt my witness for Christ and this is not gonna lead them towards uh, Jesus. And then he goes into an example. Listen to it, verse 25. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So again, he's saying in the meat market, you buy meat, you don't know it's sacrificed to an idol, buy it, eat it, it's fine because the Lord owns it all. Idols are nothing. Like if it's meat, it was created by God for God, you're a Christian, man, eat your T-bone, you're good. Verse 27, if an unbeliever though invites you to a meal and you want to go, then eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. So again, if they invite you over and you don't know what they lay meat on the table, eat the meat, right? But listen to the other scenario. But if someone says to you, this meat has been offered in sacrifice, then Paul says, do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. So what is he saying? He's saying, if this person's telling you that this meat has been offered to Zeus and you eat it, then immediately now that person thinks, okay, you can be a worshiper of Christ and you can be a worshiper of Zeus because this meat was sacrificed to Zeus. And that's when Paul says, no go. If it's gonna cause them to stumble and cause them to see a view of Christ that's not right, then we choose not to do it. So then he goes on, verse 29. 
uh, verse 30. He says, uh, no, 29, I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another person's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? Verse 31, here's his conclusion. Underline this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether it's a Jewish person, a Greek person, or if it's someone in the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good as a servant of Christ anymore. We're not seeking our own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so Paul's conclusion of chapters 8 all the way through 10 is that whatever we do, we need to do it with the glory of God in mind. So your question should be, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is when we live for the glory of God, we're living to make much of Jesus, to, to help people understand who Christ is and to celebrate who he is, right? And so anything in our life that we do that doesn't make much of Christ, Paul says don't do it. We should live our life with one aim, and that aim is to glorify Christ. And if anything we're doing is causing people to see Christ in a bad way or not view Christ the way the Bible teaches that Christ should be viewed, uh, then don't do it because your witness is too important, the mission of God is too important, and their salvation is too important. These are real people that have a real soul that are gonna spend eternity somewhere, and Paul sees that as a big deal, and so should we. Um, so I know that was a long chapter, but I wanna give you three things from this. Hopefully, uh, you're not confused. I know that's a lot. Paul's logic is kind of everywhere there, but it is a very in incredible passage. So I wanna give you three things that I think will simplify it down uh, for us and put it on the bottom shelf. The first is this, learning from the past. Paul wants us to be people that know God's word enough to learn from other people, right? We can't be so prideful that we don't feel like we struggle with the same things that other people struggle with or that we're better than other people. We need to be people that learn from those in Scripture and that those around us that are Christians that have been through difficult uh, things. Uh, secondly, uh, I want to talk about facing temptation. How do we face temptation as a Christian? Again, the same word for temptation is test. How do we face test as a Christian? Difficult things. How do we navigate through those things trying to be faithful? And then lastly, I wanna talk to you about glorifying God in all things. That's what Paul's aim is, that we live a life that glorifies God in all things. So here we go. Number one, learning from the past. The first thing is this. The Bible is a gift to us. You understand that? So this Bible is... 66 books, 66 different books, all that make up one book that has one divine author. That author is the Holy Spirit. This is a book that's from God. So when we read this book, we are literally reading the word of God. This is God revealing himself to us. This book is more important than anybody else in your life that tells you about God. The only good I can do for you as your preacher is pointing you to this Bible. So why do I sit up here for 25 minutes and try to explain things to you that are kind of difficult to understand and all over the place? Well, the reason I do is because you understanding this Bible and what God is saying in it is the most important thing about you. 
And the greatest thing about this book is that it's made up of real people. Like that lived a life just like you and I that had real stories that faced real problems and have real responses to those problems. And everybody didn't respond perfectly. And so the Bible is a book that we can learn from, that we need to be open to learn from. Like when we look at the life of Abraham or when we look at the life of Moses or when we look at the life of David or Peter or whoever else you read about in the Bible, when they make mistakes... Paul tells us these are written as examples for us, as warnings that we should heed. So when we talk about what the Israelites were struggling with down here, Paul tells us, he says uh, that the Israelites uh, were freed and saved from slavery. They were given the law of God. They were given the revelation of God. And then God was leading them very personally and divinely through this cloud into the promised land, which is the fullness of life that they were looking for. But however, they, they were acting a fool. They were doing whatever they wanted to do. Instead of seeking God, they were living for themselves. And Paul says they were lusting and they were setting their hearts on evil things. They were wanting to walk in their old lifestyle instead of these new things that God had for them that were better things. They were falling into idolatry. They were making other things in their life more important than God. And as we, you think about these, like our sin is the same thing. Like literally, I, I struggle with both of those things. And so I, as I read this passage this week, studying, man, God's just convicting my heart. Billy, what have you made more important than God in your life? And the great news is God gives us grace and he calls us to repent and turn from God, but we gotta be open to read God's word and to learn from him. He says they were committing sexual immorality. They were constantly questioning God and testing God. Their lives were full of grumbling and complaining. And if you read Genesis, if you read really Exodus and, and Numbers and you read about the Israelites as they're on this pathway to go to this promised land, you start to figure out, man, they really are like a bunch of children. There's, there's really a reason that, that the Bible calls them the children of Israel because they're always grumbling. They're always complaining. They always uh, are making a fuss if they don't get exactly what they want when they want it. And if you start to look at our lives and your children's lives, the same sin that was in them is in us. And so we need to learn. These are people that we can learn from and we can learn that really the same thing that God was teaching them is that all sin leads to destruction. Like idolatry is a big deal. Like when we make other things more important than God in our life, like it's going to lead to destruction in our life. The question is not if it's going to lead to it, it's when is it going to lead there? Sexual immorality and, and having sex outside of marriage and not viewing sex the way God designed for it is going to cause harm to you and to other people. It is a big deal to God. And we need to be open to God showing us that so that we can change, we can repent and turn away from our sin and turn to Christ. So my question is this, is are you learning from the past? Like, are, are you reading God's word on a consistent basis to learn from others who have been in this struggle with you trying to become more and more like Jesus in their lives? Do you do life in community? 
Do you have people in your life, we call them connect groups, that are around you, that are, that are trying to, to become more and more like Christ, that can talk to you about things that are hindering them, and you can talk to them about things that are hindering you, and you guys can walk this thing out together. That's the gift of the church that God intends for each one of us. The Bible is so clear. All sin leads to destruction. But that ain't even the worst part of it. The worst part of it is literally the, the Israelites walking in sin hindered them from walking in the abundant life that God had for them. And listen, there's not one person in this room that doesn't want to experience abundant life, peace, and fullness of joy, and, and pleasures forevermore. And that's what happens when we begin to live for God and we begin to turn away from sin. This is what we gotta understand your heart was created by God for God. So anything else you try to put in there to fill up that heart, to satisfy that heart other than God, will not work. Because it was not created for the other things. It was created for God. But when God gets in that hole, then everything else we have in this life now begins to fall into place and we begin to be able to enjoy the gifts of God for what they're intended for. But as long as Christ is not in that hole in our heart, then we are gonna constantly idolize other things and look for fulfillment and satisfaction and pleasure in things that were not intended to do that for us. So the first thing is learning from the past is an important part of the Christian journey. Are we doing that? Secondly, facing temptation. Again, in verses 12 through 14, Paul really dives into this uh, area of pride in the Corinthians. And he says, listen, uh, you need to be careful because you're not beyond sin. And so he gives them a couple things. I want you to write these three things down under facing temptation. The first is this, don't get prideful. Don't get prideful. Do not get prideful. Nobody is above temptation. Proverbs 16 tells us that pride comes before the fall and a haughty spirit comes before destruction. And this is exactly what was going on with the Corinthian Christians. They were becoming overconfident in their freedoms. And then they were saying, no, we're just mature, Paul. And what they see as mature, Paul saw as reckless. You get that? Like what they saw as a right that they could do because uh, they were a Christian, Paul said, no, you're being reckless and you're dining with demons, and you think you're smart, and you think you're strong, but you're underestimating the power of the enemy. Because when you begin to dine with demons, and you begin to, to, to step into this realm of idolizing other things, Satan is crafty, he's gonna use that idol as a foothold in your life, and then he's gonna begin to control you. I was having a conversation outside uh, with a guy a while ago, and we were talking about just this, this pathway that happens when, and I've seen it hundreds of times with people in our church, that the first thing it starts with is, man, they, they get a job, and it's a great job, making a lot of money, but it, it requires a lot of work, a lot more than 40 hours a week. And in order to sustain that, they start thinking about how can I stay up longer than I can stay up? And then they start taking uh, some sort of medication to help them stay up. And then what happens is that ain't enough. And then it goes to the next thing or the next thing, or you insert whatever. It might be money, and they're chasing after money. And so the, the issue is it's never a drug problem. It's a, it's, a, it's a money problem. It's a success problem. They're chasing after this, this, this hamster wheel that they're never going to arrive at because there's always more and more and more to do. And whatever I can do to get the more and more, it's like you're chasing after a rabbit that you can never catch. 
And Satan sees that and he clamps in. But the idea of pride cannot back off of that situation and it will not listen to community in their life that says, hey man, you're never home with your wife and kids. Like you're, you're, you're ruining your family. Well, well, I gotta do this, I gotta provide, I gotta do this. This is what, God's blessed me with this, blah, 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 you know, and they got all these answers. But then the people that love them the most are saying, hey, this isn't you. This is not you, you need to turn away from that. You need to get back to prioritizing God in your life and prioritizing the things of God. You know, Satan has a goal for your life. The Bible teaches it, 1 Peter chapter 5, 8. He's a lion, a roaring lion that seeks people and he's prowling around and he's got one goal in mind. You know the scripture? To devour you. Read it, 1 Peter 5, 8. Our adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. John chapter 10, verse 10. It's another scripture. It says the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. So Satan has a plan for your life. And that plan is to destroy you, to devour you, to steal from you, to destroy you. And as we begin to give him this foothold in our life that starts with pride, then we begin to go down this road of destruction. And the question is not if we're going to destruction. All sin leads to destruction is when are we gonna get there? But on the other hand, God has a plan for our life. The second half of John uh, chapter 10, uh, the second part of the verse, John 10, 10 says, Jesus has come that we may have life and have it to the full. Psalm 16, uh, 10 says that our, our joy is full when we are in the presence of God. There's pleasures forevermore. There's fullness of joy. There's, there's peace that passes all understanding when we're with God and we're walking with God. And so God's plan for your life is peace and joy and, and abundant life. And Satan's plan is destroy, to steal, kill, and devour you. Which one do you want? And it sounds easy there, but it starts with this issue of pride. Are you willing to learn from your past? And are you willing to face temptation and be faithful? Because it, it really does require us and the Spirit of God in us to do that. The second thing he teaches us about facing temptation is we need to take the way out. What's the way out? Well, what does Paul say? He says, but when you are tempted, God will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Again, that's a little different language than you would think. It's almost like uh, you would think you were riding down I-16 or 95 and you could just take a, a exit out of the situation. But Paul says it's not always that simple. Sometimes uh, the, uh, the off-ramp is to endure the situation and be faithful in the situation, specifically if it's a test. And so that's the goal of the way out is that we would endure the situation with faithfulness. Faithfulness would be saying no to sin when it tempts us, right? It would be saying no very clearly and choosing Jesus over that sin or in the midst of a, a trial or a, or a test, it would be saying no to doubting God and doubting his goodness and his uh, willingness to, to walk beside you and enduring that testing season, trusting God and walking through it in a way that would point other people uh, to Jesus. That's what testing is all about. God says, we will have trouble in this world. Take heart, I've overcome it. 
And these tests that you face are about producing perseverance in you, but they cannot produce perseverance in you if, if you choose to walk in sin in the midst of the test. And if you choose not to be faithful to God in the midst of that test. So it says God is faithful. We need to understand that. What an incredible God that when we get in a tough situation, whether it's temptation or a test, God gives us a way. He gives us a way out. There's no greater promise than that in Scripture. Titus chapter 2 tells us that it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to sin. 1 Corinthians 10 says it's the faithfulness of God that leads us to, to endure through difficult things. It's fixing our eyes on Christ. I want, you to un, I want you to write this down. The secret to a good no is a better yes in our lives. The secret to a good no to sin is a better yes to Jesus. The secret to endurance in our life in the midst of a trial is keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and keeping our eyes fixed on him. When it comes to sexual sin and temptation in that area, Jesus is better. So say no to the sin and yes to Jesus. When it comes to idolatry, Jesus is better. So say no to giving your life away and, and making something more, more important than God and say yes to Christ. When it comes to complaining or when it comes to that difficult situation that's testing your faith, remember God is faithful. He is with you. It may not uh, make it easier uh, right then, but to know that the God of the universe is with you and that he's working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes allows you to pick your head up and say, God's with me, I can do this. Because you notice a lot of people take this scripture out of context. It says, he will not let me be tempted beyond what you can bear. But we forget as a Christian, we have the spirit of God in us. So it's not about what you can bear, it's about what you and the spirit of God can bear. And the spirit of God can bear the cross. And so we need to understand when the Spirit of God lives in us, we can bear through a lot more than we think. And if God puts us in a position to walk through those difficult times for the sake of the salvation of someone else or for the sake of our own growth and sanctification, he wants us to be faithful in that. Write this down. Sinful pleasure will always be more appealing until we have set our hearts on a superior pleasure. So in our life, sinful pleasure, when we think about things that are against the will of God in our life, you insert into the blank, whatever that is in your life, it will always be more appealing to you than God until you believe God is superior pleasure than that sin is going to provide for you. This is where we get it wrong as Christians. This is John Piper, one of my favorite pastors, whole ministry, that literally you and I are created for God, by God, for God. So the most pleasure we can ever experience is when we are satisfied in Christ. Like that's the deepest joy and the deepest fulfillment we will ever experience is in Christ. Nothing else can satisfy that deep level of joy that Christ can in our lives. And when we begin to believe that as a Christian, it's easy to say no to something that we know is gonna lead to destruction and death in our lives, to say yes to something that's bringing joy, fullness of joy, and deep satisfaction. It doesn't make in the situation easier, but when we have that worldview and that mindset, 
it's a lot easier to say no to something. So here's what I want to do. I want to teach you a biblical way to think about temptation and sin in your life. I want you to write these four things down. When you get in that situation, whatever temptation you face, whether it's sex, whether it's money, uh, success, uh, whatever it is that, that, that literally you look to for that fulfillment, or whatever it is that, that just begins to grab your affections more than God in your life. That is what the Bible would define as an idol. I want you to go through this in your head. This is what has helped me uh, solve this. I'm not perfect, but this has been helpful for me. The first thing is this. I need to think all sin leads to death and destruction. Whatever it is, when that thing comes in front of you and it's like, man, that would be awesome, let me jump into this, but I know it's against the will of God. Remember, all sin leads to death and destruction. Secondly, remember, Satan is a liar. He is a liar. And he will lie and he will, he will try to convince you to believe that whatever this thing is is going to satisfy you, make you happy, and going to fulfill you more than God. And in that moment, either the truth of God reigns in your life or the lies of Satan reign in your life. And listen, this is where we need people around us that can be outside of the situation saying, hey, that's Satan, this is God, you need to go this way. The third thing is this, Jesus is better. He's always better. He is better. Read the book of Hebrews, he is better. He is better than whatever temptation, whatever he's promising, whatever lie he's throwing at you, you can bet your bottom dollar that Jesus is better because you were created by God for God. And then the last thing you need to do is you need to pray. Help me, Holy Spirit. The greatest news when it comes to temptation is that God did not leave us here alone. We have the Spirit of God, if we are a believer, inside of us to help us navigate through these things in life. So when sin knocks at your door, promising everything it can't deliver, you say those four things in your head and you walk away. And the last thing that I wrote down was this. When in doubt, when you're in a situation in doubt, in temptation, flee. F-L-E-E. -E. Flee means run as fast as you can run. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I told you in Scripture, there's two things that Paul just says, hey, don't think about it. Don't try to beat it. Don't put on the armor of God. None of this stuff. Just straight up run as fast as you can. Get out of the way. If you feel yourself falling into idolatry, or sexual immorality, you run from it. This is why I could not be a football coach. There's no way I could do it because I just have idolized sports my entire life. I just cannot put myself back. That's why I'm a chaplain. That's why I stand to the side. I only show up at practice one, once a week. Coach Cameron's here. He can testify. Uh, it's, it's that idea because I can feel in t-ball. Bro, my son's playing t-ball, and I'm out there. They don't even keep score. And we're at a seven o'clock game time. God bless you if you're playing t-ball at seven o'clock when these kids are supposed to be in bed. And the rest of the coaches are chill. They're better than me at that. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what are we doing? They just made more outs than we did. We're gonna lose. The scoreboard ain't even on. And so in my heart, I'm already giving myself over to this t-ball game, you know what I mean? And, and, and I'm not there for that. I'm there to be a witness for these kids for Christ. But we gotta understand when we're in that situation, we need to do our best to flee. And we need to do our best to walk out of that situation. If you're in a situation right now where it's luring you towards sexual immorality, maybe you've, you, you've been in an adulterous relationship before and it started with social media, get rid of social media. Like, just flee from it. 
If, if you're in a job and it's caused you to ruin your family and just take everything away from your family, then find another job. Say, Billy, you don't understand how much money I make. No amount of money is worth lose, losing your family over. None. And so we have to learn to make decisions based on Christ. And the last part that he points to is glorifying God in all things. I told you 31 is kind of the summary of the whole last three chapters. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is Paul's heart, and I love this, is his heart for the church in Corinth. This is why we call the series Be the Church. Everything that Paul addresses with the Corinthian believers is about one thing. He wants them to be a group of people that seek to glorify Christ. And what does it mean to glorify Christ? It means to make much of Jesus. It means that when people look at the Corinthian church, they see Christ. They see a tangible picture of who he is. They see a group of people that are celebrating who he is and what he's done for them. And listen, Connection Church, that's God's design for us. We should seek one aim. And listen, we can do it corporately, but it has to start individually. Like in your life right now, is your only aim in everything that you do, whatever it is, at home, at work, in the, at the ball fit, whatever you're doing with your life, is your only aim to seek to glorify God? Is that it? That's God's desire for you. Whatever you do, wherever you're at, are you seeking to make much of Jesus? Because listen to me, God's design for the church is that when people see Christians, they see Jesus. And so that means that each of us in this room, starting with me, need to be very serious about living a life that reflects Christ to those around us. And listen, we're not gonna be perfect and we're all gonna have different struggles, but we need to grow and we need to move forward and we need to take next steps and we need to ask God to help us. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. I know that principle in general applies to so many different people on so many different levels. And listen, I don't, I don't know where you're at this morning, but what I know is that each of us can and need to hear the challenge to be more like Jesus. So I'm asking this morning, what area of your life is it that God is pressing on? What is it that he's asking you to flee from? What is it that he's asking you to step into? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Billy, I don't even have a relationship with God. Well, that's great that you know that. Because listen, you cannot be Christ without Christ in you. And so your next step today is salvation, to, to surrender your life to Jesus, allow Christ to come and help you. If you're here this morning, you say, Billy, that's me. That's what I wanna do. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus this morning. That's you, I want you to lift your hand. I just wanna pray for you. Anybody in this room, you say, Billy, that's me. Anybody in here, you lift your hand. I'd say, yep, amen. Anybody else, you say, Billy, that's me. That's what I wanna do. So Father, that's my prayer this morning. God, would you create in us a desire to be you where we are? 
God, if that's in a business, in a workplace, if that's in our home, if that's coaching kids, teaching kids, whatever it is in our life, Lord, I pray today, God, that you would give us your desire to be you in this world. And God, that people would see the folks that make up Connection Church. And God, they would see an accurate picture of you. And Lord, that's our prayer this morning. God, would you help us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Would you stand and sing?